0: When y'all had babies, did y'all have a baby monitor? We had one. I think it was one of them Fisher-Price models. You know, he you turned the, turn the knob, and uh, I got to realize that when, when we had kids, uh, we had, when we had three little ones, we lived in Rapid City, South Dakota, and uh, we, we, we were church planters in South Dakota. I want to tell you something about church planters. They don't make much. The me it's a to you, but that's not what you go into if you want to be rich in this world's eyes. And so we had this baby monitor, and it just, it's one of them simple ones that you have it in the room, right, and you turn it on, and then you have one in your room, you have know, a little receiver, and when, you, when your baby wakes up, you know they're, they're up. But even back then, I know now even more so, but even back then, if you had the money, you could get one of, the, one of those um, baby monitors that has video. You know what I'm talking about? That you can see what's actually happening within within the, the the nursery of your house, and 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 when when they when they come come out, you can not only see that, but there's like a button you can press, and you can talk to them. Some of you in the room have one. Now now we we didn't have one of those because we were we were so poor, we were po. We we could not afford afford the O R and even the P O. We had to put on layaway. So but so we didn't have one of those, but I heard a story yesterday morning, and I don't know how many of you guys listen to Christian radio, but KSBJ is a great radio station, and I was listening to that yesterday morning. Maybe you were, so you heard the story, but uh, the people are talking on the radio, the commentators, and they were doing, always do a great job, but they were talking about, they have, they have a little kid, they have a toddler, that uh, his name is Will, and Will uh, has a problem. He's old enough now where he's, where he's mobile, but he's still in the crib, but he loves to crawl out of the crib, and so they were telling the story about having this this video surveillance monitor on on, on their on their son on their son wheel and and will began to climb out of this one morning, began to climb out the first time this happened with the video thing began to climb out of the of the crib and so guess what they did? The dad pressed the talk back button as it was happening, and he said, "Will I see you." lay down and go to sleep. And the kid immediately let go of the crib and laid down, and he could see his face, his eyes were like this, as if God were speaking to him. I'd have done the same thing if I were that kid. Uh, Well, if God were to speak to you, what would be your response today? What would be your position if God Almighty spoke to you? And here's what I love. Every time we gather together, and every time you yourself open up God's word, guess what? God speaks. He wants to speak. But the question is, how will we respond, and what will be, we be, be what will be our position as He speaks? I hope today is. We've already sung this already. Is is God speak more? I hope today is like God. I'm ready. Whatever you have for me, I'm ready to listen. And I'm ready, whatever you have for me, I am ready to put this into practice. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Some of you are wondering, like, man, Justin, uh, you're still preaching, and Calvin was supposed to be here, and that's the only reason I, I, I came today, because Calvin was supposed to preach. Dr. Calvin Pearson was supposed to preach last week, and and he got sick, and, and so I last minute, I was the pinch hitter for the pinch hitter last week, if you remember. And then this week, same thing, he's still sick. Y'all pray for for, for Dr. Um, Dr. Pearson, and, and he does hope to be with us next week and preach that sermon that he has prepared a few weeks ago, and that'll be hopefully next week on Father's Day. By the way, men, you got to come next week. If you're a dad, you have to come next week. I've got a special gift for you. You're going to love it. Psychology says that 70%, at least 70% of learning doesn't come from a book, doesn't come from school or any other medium except modeling. We, not, we don't learn principally from what we hear or what we read. We learn principally from what we see other people of influence in our life doing, right? And so today, as we think about this, uh, we have a model, actually a couple of models in our text. And, and I'll just ask you today, how many of you guys have ever heard a sermon on beheading? Not a popular one. That's what our text is today. It is about the beheading of John the Baptist. Not an often preached text, but listen, there's some, there's some incredible truths for us today. And so read with me, Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. And as we read, may I encourage you to not focus on the beheading, but to focus on the behaving. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Remember last week we talked about Jesus had uh, sent out his disciples, and he had called them to go and be his messengers, and they did it. They did it. They were going out and spreading the truth of Jesus, his ministry that he was doing. They were multiplying that. So King Herod heard about all this that was happening, the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his disciples. For Jesus' name had become well known. Just a little pause. Man, I hope that happens in our community through the local church here in Montgomery and beyond. Like, not just the name of Jesus, but the goodness of who he really is. May we make that verse come to to reality in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our community. King Herod heard about this, and Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So we've been on this journey through the book of Mark. We're going to go through the rest of the book of Mark, verse by verse this year. And so over and over, it's Jesus teaching like no one had ever taught before and healing like no one had ever done before and casting out demons and no one had ever done that. And so everybody's asking the question, under what authority and how does he have this power? And and they're wrestling with this. And so King Herod is, is... is hearing about this, and these people were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Is John the Baptist because he taught, and he was a special teacher, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. And others said he is Elijah. And remember, these are Jewish people. They knew about Elijah, and, and he was this incredible prophet, and God worked mightily through him. And still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. We don't really know why he was convinced because it seems that unequivocally here, Herod says it's, it's nobody else but it's John the Baptist. It's got to be John the Baptist. We don't really know other than we know that, that he definitely knew John the Baptist and he, he, he was very much a part of John the Baptist's uh, journey. And so we read about that. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. So There's a lot going on here. I'm going to come back to what's. This is like a very convoluted thing right here that's going on. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So he did this. Herod did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, who he had married, who he had married. So Herodias is Herod's wife. Funny enough, Herod. Herodias, all right, she wasn't renamed. This was already her name, but she before was Philip's wife, his brother. That's messed up. Verse eighteen: For John had been saying to Herod, "It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife." So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Some people even think that that. The the place that John the Baptist was, the prison that he was, Herod put him there to protect him from all these people that wanted to kill him. It could have been. We don't know. We don't know for sure. So Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. And finally, the opportune time came, and on, on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leaders Leading men of Galilee, and when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. Now this is not like you know G-rated stuff here. Just to let you know, like this is something that was uh, uh, adult in nature. Let's put it that way. And the king said to the girl, "Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you." And he promised her with an oath, "Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom." And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And the head of John the Baptist, she answered. It was quick, like almost like she knew. Like, this is what I wanted. I want the head of John the Baptist. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guest... He did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And the man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. And he presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now, this is a messed up, strange story, let's be honest. And it falls in between the disciples going out and then a really, really great passage uh, as we pick up. Uh, in verse 30. But don't go there. Don't read it yet. Don't read it. Because it's important that we rest in what happened here. By the way, this scenario that that happened, it should remind you of someone else that went before a king and danced before a king. Ring a bell. Think Old Testament. Think King Xerxes. Think the people were in bondage. God's people were in bondage. Remember who that was? It was Esther. Interesting and ironic, the incredible contrast. She went and danced before King Xerxes and found favor with the king. And what did she ask for? She asked for the freedom and the saving of the lives of her people. And then here, it's this daughter of Herodias that went before the king and found favor because of her dancing, and she asked for the opposite. She asked for the head of John the Baptist. And so what we find here... Is a fascinating story, but it really is a tale of two people. By the way, there's only two times in the book of Mark that Mark diverts his focus from Jesus and his ministry to other people. The first time is in Mark chapter 1, and that focus was on no other than John the Baptist. And so right here in Mark chapter 6, he again focuses on the John, John the Baptist. And so there's a tale of two people here in our story. One is a model of sin And it's cascading downward effects. Sin has this start and it just cascades downward and it gets bigger. I saw my wife playing on her phone this week, which she doesn't often do, but uh, she was playing that old game Tetris. You know that game and you try to you try to line things up and if you line all the blocks in one line the line goes away, but I was horrible at this game and it just gets closer and closer and you get you get worse and worse shape and all of a sudden the game is over. Oh I hit the paint bucket. Um that, that's the idea of cascading down. It builds and builds and builds. And so one model for us is is a model of one living in sin and all of the downward cascading effects of that in contrast to a model of faithfulness and obedience. And the opposite happens. When we're faithful, when we're obedient, there is a cascading up and a multiplicity of goodness that comes with it. And so Herod here, if you hadn't picked it up, is the model of worldliness. He, um, he is a model of what a sinner looks like. He could have chosen differently. He had plenty of choices within this, right? He had choices. He was a man of influence and had choices in our story. He could have made a different choice, but what, what impacted him? Well, his, uh, his carnal nature, his fleshly nature, his sinful nature, his desire for power, his desire for prestige, his desire to please people had replaced God in his life because we must realize that was was not like he was a Gentile here. Herod was a Roman official, but he was one of God's people. Well, sometimes we think like this is some guy from the outside. No, he was the governor of Galilee, the tetrarch of Galilee, and so this is the area that 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 Jesus was doing ministry. And so he's one of one of God's people, but but he had replaced God in his life with his pursuit of power and prestige, even though he loved to listen to John the Baptist. It seems that he loved to listen to other people more. I hope we see a warning here. We are always in danger of doing the same. Sometimes I think it's hard for us to kind of think like, man, he was a king. He was a strong uh, governor that has so much money and so much power. But we are always in danger of making choices that undermine our faith. We are always in danger uh, of, of of making choices that that. Align us not with the kingdom of God, but with the prince of darkness and the principalities and powers of this world. And so here's the way it happens it happens a little bit of compromise here, (laughs) a little bit of compromise here, a little laziness here, a little bit of letting our guard down here, and suddenly we wake up just like he did, and we're making decisions that we never would have in the first place. It's not that we know they're not wrong, It, it seems that he hesitated here. He knew what was right but he gave in to his sinful nature. So Herod modeled sinfulness for us. May we not be like him. He modeled worldliness. He he modeled a lifestyle of being power hungry and people pleasing and lustful and compromising his values and so much more. And in our story today, it's it's almost like this simple truth for us, don't do this, do this so so don 't be like here. It sounds so simple, right? you work hard on that one justin don 't do this, do this it 's very clear here. John is the model of obedience and faithfulness, and so when it comes to scripture. We have this eagerness to learn. We have this desire to, to walk as faithful disciples of Jesus. But the truth is we only get snapshots throughout Scripture of what actually that looks like. And there's three snapshots I want us to see from the behavior of John the Baptist because he's our good model here. He, the way he lived his life was just so profoundly faithful He was the one that God sent, and he was faithful to prepare the way for the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. That seems like an incredible commission and mission, right? Well, it's ours too, isn't it? That is the great commission. So how did he do this? Three snapshots of a follower of Jesus that's modeled for us that we should take note of today. The first is boldness. John the Baptist was a bold man. He spoke truth in the darkness of this world. He had an unwavering stance for truth, even against incredible consequences. He spoke truth now let 's go back to this uh, really messed up scenario that 's going on you have You have Herod, he was first married to the daughter of Aretas. He was already married before. And so there was another, and Aretas was another powerful governor uh, around of that day. He divorced that woman to marry Herodias, who it says in our text here, he which was Philip, his brother's wife. And so messed up, right? Herodias divorced her husband and left him for his brother, a uh, little fun fact here, Philip, the one that she divorced, was, before she was married to him, actually was her uncle. So she married her uncle, and then she divorced her uncle, and then married her, the brother of her uncle. This is, uh, listen, we shake our heads, and that's what John the Baptist did. I mean, he's like, that ain't right. Right, that's what we say here a lot. Like, that, one, that that's not okay. That's worldly. That that's just doesn't align with, with the, the core values found within Scripture. And so even despite, he knew, Herod knew that this was a powerful man. He spoke truth in the midst of it. He was bold. Even in the midst of the religious leaders who had incredible power, Listen, it's not like, like, I don't have much power in these days. Like, I don't. I, I'm just going to, the power is in here, so I'm just going to let, let the power come out of here. It's not like me these days. Uh, these religious leaders in those days, like, they had significant power to make things happen. They had sway for lots of people, but he spoke truth to them. He had a conviction to speak for God and please God rather than a conviction to please men. I could learn from that today. I think we probably all could. So you see, there's an invitation for boldness, just like John the Baptist was in our text. There is a challenge for us today to stand. There is an incredible need today. You just turn on the news. There's an incredible need today for us to stand for truth. I want to follow it up by saying this, how we stand for truth matters. It's a necessity that we stand for truth, that we're light in the darkness. But how we do so matters. This is not in your notes, but I'll give you four things. And I'll give you scriptures to reinforce them. We must do it with perspective. We must stand for truth with perspective. We must stand for truth with a heart to restore. We must stand for truth speaking truth in love. And we must stand for truth patiently. Where do I get all that from? We must stand for truth with perspective. It is true that the gospel will be offensive. But it should never be true that we are. That's right. yeah, that's right. And there is, that's a huge difference. Because it does say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, for we are the Rome of Christ, to God among those who are being saved. Like, that's good. But among those who are perishing... To the one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance of life. When you hold the truth up to people that they are in Christ, they will be affirmed and they will find hope and joy. But those who are not in Christ will realize, man, that they are dead in their sin, and that is offensive. Like that, that is something that like is hard to accept. That that, that we are, we all have sinned and come short of the glory. Of God, listen, that will always be a dividing line. That will always be like a a, a a sheep from the goats statement, right? But So the gospel is offensive, but we are not to be. It goes on in verse 17. For we are not like so many people, peddlers of God's word. <laughs> I love that phrase. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The heart behind that is that like, there's got to be an urgency for us to speak the truth to stand for the truth. But we have to have an urgency to do it properly with the second thing, a heart to restore. Galatians six one. if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you, are, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. We don't speak truth to prove that we are right. We, that's not the heart behind it. We speak truth with the heart to restore. That matters. That's what John the Baptist wanted. He was standing for truth because he wanted the people of God to get it. He wanted them to understand that, that, that this Messiah is coming and he's walking in their midst. You see, and that Messiah is the one that came to restore. You see, he's, his heart was not to straighten them out. Some people in this world, some Christians think it's their job to straighten this world out. Listen, that's not principally our job. Only God can do that. Our heart has got to be to restore. Listen, that should saturate our, our words that we speak to people in this world. That should saturate our social media, and that should saturate everything. I'm stepping on my toes. Maybe I'm stepping on yours, but this matters. And so we have to stand for truth with perspective, with a heart to restore, speaking the truth in love. That's Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love and patiently. 2 Timothy four two. speaking toward leaders in the church specifically, says this, preach the word. I'm trying to do my best to do that right now. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. So this is our calling. Like we are to correct, rebuke, and encourage. I'm I'm, I'm attempting to do that right now, but it doesn't stop there. It says with great patience. With great patience and careful instruction. We must be careful, my friends, my church family, how we stand for truth. But don't don't miss the truth here that John the Baptist modeled for us. We must do so boldly. We must be bold in our stance for Jesus. And he certainly did that. The second thing, actually two things, but we'll call it the second thing. We find in verse 20, goodness and holiness. We could have said righteousness and holiness. I could have also said justice, uh, standing for justice, and holiness and this is what Herod saw in John the Baptist look at verse 20 in the text because Herod feared John Herod feared John he had a, a reverence that's the word there he had a reverence for John and because of that protected him knowing him to be a righteous he was right he did good things he did things that helped people in a holy man and because of that, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled. Yet he liked to listen to him. You see, John the Baptist, from from Herod's view, there was something different about him. He was a good man. The Jewish historian the, who wrote in the first century Josephus said he was an excellent and good man who stirred up the Jews to the study of virtue and especially piety and justice it seems that John the Baptist to everyone that saw him was a good man he 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 loved people and he was a caring man he was a gracious man he and because of that there was something about him that endeared people toward him and that's what happened i mean here's Herod even though even though John the Baptist spoke truth to him, like there was something about him, and he revered him. And so he heard that through the lens of the character and the goodness and the holiness. Like he uprightly lived according to the Jewish law. He he held closely to those things. And because of that, John the Baptist was uh, approachable, and John the Baptist was Winsome. We can learn something from this that as we speak truth, we must be very careful to live good lives. We must treat people well. And we must live holy lives aligned with the character of Scripture. And the third thing we find in verse 27, and this is the this is kind of the one that's hard, but it is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. We must be bold. We must live lives that are good and that are holy. But we must live a life that sacrifice. Speaking of sacrifice, many of you guys are cooks. Men, women are cooks inside, and that, that's good. But, but uh, I want to speak toward the grillers in the room. How many of you guys like to grill? I like to grill. Listen, y'all who cook inside, you may not know it. You may think it's nice to go outside and get away from the kids and get to that grill. But listen, grillers make a big sacrifice, so I did this yesterday. I went outside and grilled our dinner, and it was 100 degrees outside. It's hot. It's so hot outside. I went in, and we were eating our dinner. I grilled some sausage, and I grilled some chicken, and it was good. And, and in the midst of our meal, Jennifer had this funny look on her face, my wife, and she's looking right across me. She's looking at my face like there's something wrong with my face. You ever ha- guys have that? And she looked at my face, and she said, hey, uh, did you some- do something to your eyebrows? I was like, I Don't think so. And at that moment I realized I was trying to get that grill lighted. It was a propane grill. And I, I turned the gas on, all three burners, and I'm pressing the, the light button. And it took a little while for it to light. And you know what happens. When it does light, pfft. well, I was listening in to listen to my lighter to make sure it was lighting, and I didn't realize that it had singed my eyebrows. And also, so if you came in this morning like this guy doesn't have eyebrows. That's why. You see, we grillers sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, y'all, It's a grill. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, y'all are are speaking my language now. We make a sacrifice. My eyebrows and my eyelashes, by the way, on my left side are not the same. I made a sacrifice. On a much more serious note, listen, a a calling to follow Jesus is a very clear calling to sacrifice. And I'm not making light of that. Jesus was very clear about this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Paul described this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, when you see the goodness of God, when you experience His goodness yourself, there's a response, and it's the only appropriate response. It is this to offer your bodies, your whole self, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so the paradigm of our life should be sacrifice. Can I say that may not line up with what the church teaches, the Western church teaches these days? There's a historian named Thomas C. Reeves. He's a professor of University of Wisconsin-Parkside. He wrote this, Christianity in modern America is in a large part innocuous. It tends to be easy, upbeat, convenient, and compatible. It does not require self-sacrifice, discipline, humility, and other worldly outlook, a zeal for souls, and a fear as well as love of God. Now, I know we don't like that about the modern-day church, but can we acknowledge that that may be more the norm than not? But then you align that with what Scripture clearly teaches, and John the Baptist clearly modeled that faithfulness and obedience will lead to sacrifice. It will lead to sacrifice. God did not save us solely so that we could go to heaven, but he did. He even went to prepare a place for us. Think John 14. Go back and read it. John 14, verses 1 to 6. Jesus already went and prepared a place for us. He came to save us, to prepare a place for us that we might go to that one day. That's why he came. But that's not the only reason he came. He came and left us a mission. We talked about that, that last week. Jesus gave his disciples a mission. Someone once said, you probably heard it before, some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. I think that sometimes is true. But there is a clear calling in the model of John the Baptist, and there is a commandment all throughout the New Testament for us to have an impact here on earth as well. And yes, when we're saved, we are made right with God, and, and we are ready for our real home, which is not here. This is not our home, right? But in the meantime, we have work to do. We have a mission, And here's, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how to phrase this in the context of our scripture. So here it is. When we trade the shame of the cross of Christ for the plaudits and acceptance of men, we have forfeited the power to shake the world. When we trade the shame of the cross and all that comes with that, deny ourselves and take up our cross for the acceptance and to please people in this world, we have forfeited the, the power of God to shake the world. It's far better to be despised by this world and even persecuted by this world than to live a life without making a difference for God. John the Baptist modeled this for us. He made an everlasting impression. He paved the way for the King of Kings to accomplish his ministry. The band's going to come up and we're going to have a closing song. Like, how do we respond to this. Here's how I, I personally will respond. For myself, I, I want to be a difference maker in this world. I, I want to make a difference. I want to be salt and light in this world. And that is our mission. We dream of being a church, a three-year-old church. We dream of being a church that forever shakes this community, forever changes his community. It is lighter and brighter and more hope-filled because of the power of Jesus. If we're going to do that, if I'm going to shake my own world for Christ, if we are going to do that together, we must be bold. We must be good as much as we can with the help of God to live good lives to live holy lives and to live a constant sacrificial life an act of worship before our King let's pray together Jesus we thank you for your word many times it's tough many times it's so challenging I sense that of this text as we attempt to digest how to apply this to our work to our own world and life And so, God, would you give us help through your Spirit? Would you help us to know how you want us to be more bold, strategically bold, patiently bold as a light in this world? Would you help us this week to live good and holy lives so that when the people from the outside see us, they'll be just like Herod, and they will think, man, there's something about this guy, there's something about this gal that's different. Would someone see that this week in us? And Jesus, we are ready. And even right now, we say we surrender. This this week will not be about me. It will be about what you want to do through me in this mission that you called me to. God, I pray that we would all accept that mission. We'd go out and do what you've called us to do and be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name.